Thanks, Artis. For those who are visitors here, I just want to let you know that we have two uh, worship teams, music teams, music, I don't know what you, how you want to term it. We got two different rotations. Uh, one week we do more traditional hymns, and the next week we have a guitarist playing more contemporary music, and we enjoy that uh, rotation that goes on, though he doesn't, especially during Christmas, because he, he doesn't think Christmas songs were made for guitar. And keep trying to tell him that's not the case. But we'll, we'll, we, we keep talking. Uh, we're in Acts chapter 14, verse 22 today. Acts 14, 22. This is our third week on this verse. Um, before we jump into it, though, uh, a gal by the name of Kelly Clarkson, she's a popular singer these days, uh, came out with a song a couple years ago called Christmas Come Early. It's a fascinating song. And I thought about reading the lyrics to you, and I was like, nah, it doesn't, you know. then I thought about singing it for you, and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. So I decided I'd just let her do it. It's an interesting song. She wrote it during COVID, so she was all caught up in all of the quarantines and all that going on, experienced the pain and loneliness that so many people experienced during that time. And for her and so many other people, they look forward to Christmas as this time of hope, time of togetherness. There's something about the holiday of Christmas that draws people and says, I'm going through this pain, I'm going through this brokenness, I'm going through this grief, I need a rest. And Christmas, that season, that holiday, is pushing me towards something and they can't place their finger on it. Hey, just Christmas, come early because I need something. 
and they don't realize what they need is the Jesus. The Jesus that that holiday points us to. Christmas is such an interesting time where there's so many people searching, so many people hoping, so many people wanting a break from the pain of their life, and we get to be the ones that say, let me show you where hope is. Let me show you where peace is. Let me show you where you can get strength through all the chaos. Let me show you Jesus. The song presents the heart of so many people who are suffering. Unfortunately, though they try to find a break through Christmas or through all these other things that the world offers them, they don't get that break. Because in this world, there is no peace at all. We could try to look to holidays, we could try to look to family gatherings, we could try to look to spending time with friends. We could try to look at this diversion or that diversion or this thing, all these things to fill the hole in our heart, but nothing provides that peace. Nothing provides that perfection that our heart so desperately yearns for. Nothing does, except for Jesus. And that's why Jesus came 2,000 years ago, to live in the midst of our pain and hold out his hand and say, in me, you can have peace. Will you come to me? He died on the cross, both hands hanging out, saying, I am the Savior. Will you come to me? Will you set aside your good works? Will you set aside your religious rituals? Will you set aside your church attendance? Will you set aside your intellect? Will you set aside all these things and come to me, Jesus says? Place your faith in me alone. Make the decision yourself because then you will have peace. Then you will have hope. Then you will have an anchor to carry us through the life that has no peace, a life that is filled with suffering, an anchor that we can hold on to in this life until finally Christ calls us to the next. That hope is only for those who have themselves made the decision to turn to Jesus in faith. For those who have made the decision to church Jesus in faith and to say, you are my hope, you are my savior, nothing else is, their cry is not Kelly Clarkson's song. It's not Christmas come early. Their cry Their cry is even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Because that is our hope. I didn't expect to cry this early in the sermon. <laughs> Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We are finishing up a three-part sermon on the vision of this church. I started it two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Third, third part, yeah, three weeks ago. Previously, the vision of this church, the tagline has been Calvary Bible Church, teaching to live the word of God. 
And that's nice. It's a nice tagline, but it's not fully what who we are as Calvary Bible Church or who the church, who God wants his church to be. So we're praying about changing our tagline to Calvary Bible Church, discipling, strengthening, encouraging. We're drawing these themes from the themes that Paul left with the persecuted churches in Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch in Acts 14, verses 20 to 22. In Acts 14, 20 to 22, Paul has been preaching the gospel in Derbe, and he preaches the gospel in that city and wins a large number of disciples. Then Paul and his contingent return to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Then Paul and Barnabas appoints elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting, they commit them to the Lord in whom they put their trust, and they continue on their way. The previous sermons in this series touched on the concepts of strengthening and discipleship, the concepts of strengthening souls and encouraging the disciples to remain true to the faith. Today, we're going to discuss encouraging. We're going to discuss struggling together towards the kingdom of God. Before we jump into that, will you pray with me? Father, King of kings and Lord of lords, thank you that you are the God who weeps with us. You see what is on our heart. You see what weighs us down, and you weep. And then you lift us up because you are the God of encouragement, and you are a God of comfort. You're a God of hope. You are the God of peace. We know that because you sent Jesus, the Prince of Peace, to come and be the God with us. And because of that, we know that you will never leave us or forsake us. But you're constantly saying, I am here. I am here. Remember your God. I'm gonna do something so that you might know that I'm the Lord. Thank you for being the God who proves yourself and your existence and proves that you want a relationship with us and did everything that we might come into relationship with you. It is an amazing thing to say that I can know the creator of the universe. Today, as we study your word, I pray that we might know you that much better and you would show us how our lives are to reflect that because of seeing you. As I'm up here, Lord, I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Thanks, Father. Amen. As I said, we've already discussed point one, which was strengthening souls. And then we discussed point two, which was encouraging faithfulness. And now is point three, struggling together towards the kingdom of God, eternity. As we have with each of the other points, we have to do a little bit of definition. So we're going to define what we are meaning. The whole sermon is wrapped around the concept of encouragement. Now, last week, I talked about encouragement. And I said, you know, the encouragement that Paul is using in this passage last week is not the encouragement of uplift or you did a good job, keep going. The encouragement is urge or exhort. It is a sledgehammer taken to a tire that is rusted onto a hub and you wail on that tire until finally that tire breaks free. That is the encouragement that Paul was talking about last week. Now the joy of English is you can have one word with a whole bunch of meanings. Like you could say, hey, I'm going to use this tool to fix my car. 
Or you can say, that guy's a tool. You probably shouldn't say that. <laughs> and I probably shouldn't say it from the pulpit, but there you go. You could, you could say, hey, that's right. Am I meaning right? Or am I meaning correct? It's like driving down with my car, in the car when I was a teenager. And my mom had given me the map. And she was telling me to give directions. And she would say, which way should I turn? And I would say, left. She said, left? I said, right. Right? No, left. <laughs> left, right. Words, depending on the context, mean different things. And so you got to look at the context. Last week, when we talked about encouragement, Paul used the encouragement. It was an urge, exhort, the, the sledgehammer to the tire. Today, I need to find encouragement a little differently because of the context. Dictionary is a great place to start. The ac encouragement, we could have done the urge or exhort, but today the encouragement is the actions of giving someone support, confidence, or hope. Paul gives the persecuted churches of Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch encouragement. He gives them support, confidence, and hope. And how does he do that? He tells them this. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul thinks that's encouraging. Going up to someone, hey, you know what? Hard times are coming. People are going to die all around you. You're going to live in pain, hopelessness, depression. It's going to be hard. Have a great day. Does that sound encouraging? No. But he's able to say that because he's saying it in a context that this, all this is going to happen, and God's not going to remove us from all that. In fact, because we're following him, it's just going to pile on even more. But Jesus gives us hope through all of the pain. He gives us hope through all the chaos as we struggle together towards eternity. Paul is giving encouragement to these churches. He's giving them encouragement because he's talking about struggling. Paul tells the persecuted churches of Lystra, Iconium, and Pisidian Antioch that they are going to struggle. You're going to memorize this. Because he says, we must go through many hardships. We must go through many hardships. What are those hardships that he's talking about? What are we struggling through? Now, specifically to those three churches and other churches that he talks to this about, he's talking about persecution. But the hardship that, he, that we're struggling through can be expanded to be more than just persecution. It can include a whole bunch of stuff. It can include temptations. We will go through hardships because of our sin. This is hardships that we bring on ourselves. but we all have a sin that we struggle with. And as we struggle against that sin, there is hardship because we want to give in to that sin. And our, our, our desires and depravity just well up. And we're like, oh, we want to do it. And so we struggle, hopefully. Hopefully. Sometimes we've got sin and we're not struggling through it. And so there's no hardship there. But the hardship is because we've said to God, we don't want to go your way. We don't want to follow what is true. We don't want to follow your morality. And therefore, we experience hardship as a result of our sin. Whenever we say, God, we know you said this, but I'm going to do something else, consequences come. 
So either way, whether we're struggling against sin or we're not, there is hardship because of the sin that is within our lives. The author of Hebrews writes this in Hebrews 12, 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, he's writing this after chapter 11, the, the hall of faith and all these great people of God who lived for God. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us. It's laying aside the sin and run, struggling. And and then a couple verses later in verse 4, he says, in your struggle against sin, you've not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. There is a struggle against sin, a hard struggle that we should happen. It's not easy to throw off the sin that's in our lives. It's not. There's a struggle. There's a hardship as we see our depravity, and it grieves us, and we don't want it, but oh, we do. And there's that war. Sometimes we struggle harder than others in some days. Because we just want to give in. Whether the circumstances are and where desires wage war against us. And that war we feel sometimes stacked against us. Because everything about us just wants to sin in that way. Whatever it is. And some days are harder than others. But James writes this. He says in James chapter 1 verse 12. He says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is a struggle against sin, but thankfully there is an end result. There is an end to that struggle coming when Christ gloriously calls us home and our sinful flesh will be put away. And the body of perfection will be given to us. That will be a great day, but today we struggle. We struggle against our sin, hopefully We're struggling against our sin, and there's hardship because of that. We also go through hardship because of our enemy. There's oppression. We know what Peter writes in 1 Peter 5, verses 8 to 9. Peter says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. There's suffering, hardship, because of our enemy attacking us. John in Revelation tells a crazy story in Revelation chapter 12 about Satan, this this dragon, battling against a woman. And there's a great lot of disagreement on who the woman is. Some people say it's Mary, some people say it's the church, some people say it's Israel. I firmly believe that John has no idea who she is because he didn't say He's just seeing this weird stuff, and he's trying to describe it. But he, he tells about this, this woman that Satan's, bat, Satan's battling against, and she has some offspring, and we know who the offspring are. They are those who follow Jesus. And John says this about what's going on. The de- dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep God's commandments and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. And the fact is... Every day, we're waging a battle against our flesh as we struggle against sin. But every day, we are waging a battle, too, against spiritual forces. We are in spiritual forces every day. Some days, we may not realize it's going on because life's going just great. Other days, we realize what's going on, and we feel that oppression through that warfare. Perhaps the struggle, whatever it is, there's a struggle. The struggle could be in circumstances, 
that, that, that are happening to us. The struggle could be in emotions that we are feeling and we don't know why they're there. Sometimes the struggle is thoughts that we're having or things that people are telling us. There is, there is a war that we're fighting spiritually. I think about Jesus. After he was baptized, he went off in the wilderness for 40 days and he was tempted by the devil constantly for 40 days. And finally, at the end of it, he had to tell Satan, it said, do not tempt the Lord your God. Be gone with you, Satan, basically. And Satan leaves. Uh, later, he's going to speak to Peter. And, and, and Peter, he's telling the disciples and says, the disciples, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. And it's going to be hard. And Peter comes to him and says, no, you're not. And he tries to convince Jesus not to go through that path. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. He tells Peter, get behind me, Satan, because he knows where this is coming from. If Jesus went through oppression by our enemy, who are we to say that we are not? We are in warfare. Ephesians chapter 6. We could talk about this. I, I, I don't have time. We go through hardship because of our enemy. We go through hardship because of our flesh, the sin that's in us. We go through hardship because of our enemy, the oppression that is placed on us. But we also go through hardship because of other people. Persecution. Paul, specifically these churches, he was talking about persecution with them. We all go through hardships because of other people. Thankfully, in America, that persecution has not been hard, not like around the world. We've had Voice of the Martyrs come and speak, and many of you I know get their magazine, Voice of the Martyrs, and you hear stories of the persecuted church around the world. They are experiencing what it means to stand up for Jesus and have their family, have their friends, have their nation turn against them and place, put them through horrible things. America, it's not happening yet, but our day is coming and we need to be prepared for it. Jesus said this. He said, I have told you these things. In John 16, verse 33, I have told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you're going to have trouble. But take heart, I've overcome this world. He didn't say, in this world, except for America, you're going to have trouble. The whole world. Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, if they're a follower of Jesus Christ, will face trouble for that faith. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 2 to 3. He says, We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. It is our destiny to go through hardships because of our faith. If we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we have turned from our sins and our good works and our religion and placed our faith in Jesus Christ alone, we will face hardships. We'll face hardships because of our sin. We'll face hardships because of oppression of the devil. But we'll specifically face hardships because of persecution, as Jesus and Paul are talking about in these verses. When we are living Christianly, striving to be godly, because of that godliness and that witness for Christ, we will face persecution because people will not like what we are saying. People will not like how we're living. People will not like our stand for truth and morality. Now, we have to be careful because 
It's easy for us to say, oh, we're being persecuted for our faith, when in fact, we're facing hardships because of the sin that we're living surrounding our faith. It's easy for us in all times, but especially election season, to say we are standing for truth and hold up the truth of Scripture and say this is what God says and this is what policy should be and this is the way we should vote, but then in our actions of getting the candidate we want or the policy we want set up, we live in an unchristian way and we do unchristian things and we face hardship because of that sin that we're living even though our focus is on the truth. There's a line. But Paul's talking about we go through hardships because of persecutions. It's a fact, that's the truth. But the encouragement is, whatever these hardships are, whether they're based upon temptation, based upon oppression, based upon persecution, we don't have to go through them alone. Paul says we struggle together. We struggle together. Paul writes in our verse, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. He says, we must go through many hardships. We, English lesson, is plural. That means more than one. Multiple people. This is we, multiple people, together, going through these hardships. God did not design us to live independently. We can go back to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God places Adam there, creates him at the end of all creation. Animals have been done, plants, all that sort of stuff. Adam's there, he's naming everyone. And then God looks at Adam and he says in Genesis chapter 18, he says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Very popular verse about marriage how God designed us to be together. And yes, this verse is talking about marriage, but it's also talking about a general principle about humanity. It's not good for us as humanity to be alone. It's not. I think about what happened in the nursing homes during COVID. All those residents isolated in their rooms, not being able to see friends or family. I was doing a Bible study at the nursing home during that time, and the nursing home was making it very hard for me, in fact, to go in unless I got the COVID shot. So for the sake of showing love to people and proclaiming the good news about Jesus Christ, I got the shot so I could go in there. And I saw these residents, I saw people, residents who had, hadn't seen their family for months on end. And I, for the next couple months, until things were opened up, I saw them more than their family ever did. And as I was looking at these residents and week in, week out, singing songs with them and leading them through Bible studies, I saw them wither before my eyes. I'm not a medical professional. I can't give you medical diagnosis. But I can tell you they didn't die from COVID because they weren't sick. But nursing homes saw a spike in deaths during that time because God designed us to be together. He didn't design us to be alone. He designed us to live in community. 
He speaks of the church as a body and says how we all need one another. Uh, Acts, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 18 to 21, but in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, speaking of the church, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. He says we, he has placed us in a body that we might be part because we need each other. We can't say, I'm a Christian, and not be part of the group that he has placed us in. We're supposed to be part of the body in that community because we need each other. Paul explains some more about that concept in 1 Corinthians 12, and then he ends in the, at the end of the passage in verse 26 and says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. We suffer together. God placed us as his people, if we placed our faith in him, to be part of a body that we might suffer together. It's one of the most important reasons that we come together in a church. Yes, it's great to sing songs. Yes, it's great to hear the preaching of the word, but the most important thing is we come together and we rejoice and cry with one another. We be the body, not just people in a pew, but the body supporting one another through these times. So important. Hebrews chapter 12, 10, the author of Hebrews writes this, and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day approaching. If we see this world getting worse and worse and worse, it should be driving us to spend more and more time as the body of Christ. If we see pain in our life and chaos and hurt, it should be driving us to spend time with the body of Christ. Pain and chaos should not cause us to go and be by ourselves, independent, saying just me, myself. That's the trick of the devil. Pain and chaos the world falling apart drives us towards the people of God because that's who we need so that we can get encouragement. Sometimes that encouragement is through the discipleship that we talked about last week. But more often than not, that encouragement is through what is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, as we live the body of Christ, rejoicing with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. The joy of how God designed us to be in community. Because if we live how God designed us in community, we suffer together for uplifting. We say we are together, and when we say we are together and join arms, it uplifts us. Paul was in prison. I gotta come over here because my bottle of water and my throat's getting dry. Hi, how you doing? Good to see you. Good, good, glad to hear. Paul was in prison. And, and towards the end of he was in prison a lot. But towards the end of his life, he was in prison. He was penning a letter to the Philippians. And he was alone, sitting there. And the Philippians send him a care package. Bunch of goodies in it, kind of like a mom sends a package to her kid in college. And they send the elder of Philippi, Epaphroditus, there with, with this care package to Paul. 
And Paul writes the letter back, sends it with Epaphroditus back. And in this letter, he gives them some teaching about the truth and about Jesus and about suffering and all these sorts of things. And then towards the end of his letter, he's telling them, you know what, you, you, you shouldn't have sent this care package to me. It's just too much. And all the travel, you really, really shouldn't have. Kind of like your grandmother when she, you give her a gift. Like, no, y'all, really, you shouldn't have. But then at the end, as he says, you shouldn't have given that gift, he tells them this. He says in Philippians 4:14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. You shouldn't have given this gift, yet it's, it was so good. There was an encouragement of the Philippians sending someone to be with Paul and sending this, this gift to say, we are with you in this struggle. There was an uplifting in his spirit when they did that. I don't know what Paul was struggling with, but I do know he was facing persecution. I don't know what Paul was struggling with, but I do know he was facing opposition from the devil. I don't know what Paul was struggling with, but I do know he was probably facing his own flesh because it is hard to go through all those things and remain true to the Lord. And this gift, this coming together of the Philippians, lift him up. It was good. Let's paint a picture of this. What does it look like for us? Say we're struggling with temptation in our life, whatever it is. God did not call us to be alone, but he called us to live in community. So if we're struggling with temptation, we invest in the community that God has placed us in, the church, and we tell people, you know what? God's convicted me of gossip. So will you help me? I need help. You know what? I struggle with eating too much. I realize it's gluttony and the holidays are coming. Could you, could you hold me accountable? Because I need you. I can't do it myself. You know what? Whenever I get stressed, I have a desire to look at pornography. Could you help me? Could you, could you hold me accountable and lift me up? We open up to friends, whatever the sin is. It doesn't have to be shocking to us because we're all sinners. We all struggle with something. And to say, this is me, this is what I'm struggling with. I'm not going to keep it in the closet anymore because when I do, I just fall. I need you. I need you. And so we opened up to friends so that we're not struggling alone. They join us in the struggle. They pray with us. They don't say, oh yeah, I get it, I get it. But they actually join in with the struggle. And we are uplifted when that happens. Say we're struggling with a spiritual battle in our life. God did not call us to be alone. He called us to live in community. So we open up and share what is going on. We share what we are feeling and experiencing. We share how God has called us to take certain steps in our life and everything seems to be getting in the way and we just can't understand it. Or we're struggling with emotions that we can't understand or, or whatever it is, you name it, what the oppression is. And our brothers and sisters, they gather around us. So we're not alone anymore. They struggle with us, they pray with us and we are uplifted as the people of God come and be the people of God together. Say we're struggling with persecution. God did not call us to be alone, but he called us to live in community. So we open up and we share what's happening in our school. We share what's happening at work. Possibly we share what's happening at home. And this can be the hard one because when the church joins in, they join in the persecution too. And it become the temptation for us to say, you know what, we're going to step back from this because we don't want to get hurt in our own community. But we as the church are supposed to step in and we're saying we will struggle with those who struggle, even if it means us getting persecuted too. 
even if it means that person who is in your home and is a hypocrite because on the outside they look great, but on the inside they're not. And the church steps in and everything blows up. And the church gets a bad name because people are lying and gossiping and all sorts of, whatever it is, we join in because God called us to be the community. So we join, standing shoulder to struggle, shoulder to shoulder, struggling together, and we are uplifted. Even when we're being torn down, we are uplifted. Every couple of years, I'm just showing you all of my, all, all of the things I probably shouldn't talk about. Every couple of years, I watch the miniseries Band of Brothers. It's not a series that I can, I, I can recommend to people because it's pretty violent. There's some language in there that's not there, not right, all that sort of stuff. So there's my sin. This is my sin coming out. But it follows this group of soldiers through World War II on the European front. They crossed the Atlantic at the beginning of the war, or on the American part of the war, with excitement because they're going to show the Germans what's what. And then they hit the war. And it's not what they thought it was going to be. And they fight together. They bleed together. They die together for years. And as people die, new people join the troop. People get promoted, new people join the group. And there's a struggle. And in the middle of the war, they're pinned down. Germans for months, winter's going on. And they're in their foxholes. And it's getting really hard. And they're wondering who's going to be shot next. They're wondering, they're getting low on medical supplies. They're getting low on clothing. They're wondering about food. They're wondering about their homes. They're wondering what's going on. And they struggle together. And they keep struggling because the person that's next to them. The new people who have come and joined their, their group are, are, are going through shell shock, literally. And, and they don't know what's going to happen. And, and they, they don't have a box. And those who have been there for a couple of years take them, those new ones under the wing and say, it's okay, I am here. I'm going to walk with you through this. There comes a point where the soldiers almost forget why they're fighting. They don't care what the generals up top tell them. They don't care what the future is. They, 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 all is right now. And they don't know how they're going to live another day. They just know that they're next to people. On either side of them. They care about them. Who are struggling with them. Who are saying, I am going to be here. And let's talk about what life's going to be like afterwards. That's what carried them through. Is the people on either side and the conversations about what was to come after the war. That show, godless show that it is, shows 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 over and over and over again. Well, Paul writes to the church in Corinth and says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can trouble, comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. We struggle. We get comfort through the body of Christ so that we can turn around and comfort someone else who's going through struggle. If we say that we will be the body of Christ and we will struggle together instead of struggling alone. Together. That is how God works. We struggle together. We struggle together towards eternity. 
there is an end goal, there is a focus in our lives as we are going. When we are able to suffer in a group instead of alone, being uplifted, we are pointed away from the chaos of the life right now to the hope of the one that is coming. We're reminded of the joy that is waiting for us. Paul writes in our verse, he says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Suffering in a group reminds us of two things. When we say, yes, we're suffering, and we open it up, and we suffer together, suffering first reminds us of Christ. It reminds us of Christ. Paul wrote, Peter writes to the churches around the Roman Empire in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 13. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Don't be surprised about the hardship you're going through, Peter says, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. When we go through suffering and we allow the body of Christ to suffer with us, we are reminded of our Savior. We're reminded that in our sufferings, we are imitating him. We are walking in his footsteps. He went through temptation. He went through oppression. He went through persecution. So when we go those things, through those things and we struggle with those things together with the body of Christ, we're reminded we are just walking the path that Jesus walked in front of us. The verses we read earlier in this sermon, Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. It's not advanced. There we go. Scorning at shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. Suffering, especially as we suffer together so that we can lift each other up and point each other towards Jesus Christ, reminds us of him, reminds us even in that small taste we are walking in his footsteps. And because of that, if we're reminded that we're walking in his footsteps, we're reminded that the path that we're on is so very temporary. Suffering reminds us of the temporal. It reminds us of the temporary nature of this life. I find it interesting talking to people whose life is going so well and talking about eternity to them. They have a very hard time picturing eternity because the life right now is great. It's so nice. They can't imagine the next. In fact, there's kind of a, a... I went through that too when I was younger. It was kind of a disappointment of, but I don't want to leave this life. I like it so much. Young people struggle with that a lot. Some older people too who are going through a great life. Some of the strongest atheists of the world, you tell them about eternity, they're like, why would I want that? My life's great. I got millions. When life is good, we have a hard time picturing eternity and wanting it. And so when someone dies in those people's lives, they think it's such a tragedy. Now, I have to speak very carefully because death is a tragedy. There's grief. We were not designed to die. God designed us to live forever with him. Death is the enemy. Death is unnatural. Death is the final enemy that's going to be done away with, Scripture tells us. It's going to be gone because it is not what we were meant to have. So yes, death is a tragedy, 
But the life that is to come, that's amazing. And currently right now, death is the door that we take to enter it. And so while we grieve those who have died, we got to rejoice too because they're saying something amazing. Those who go through hardship, those who go through pain, those who go through misery, those who struggle, truly struggle through temptation and oppression and persecution, they see the pain and the horrors and the chaos of this life, they say, I don't want this life. This life is passing. This life is temporary. I'm not going to hold on to this because it's just given me pain after pain after pain. I want the next one. I'm ready to give all this life up. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Paul writes to the Philippians in prison. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die, oh my goodness, so much gain. Suffering, especially as we suffer together. So the body of Christ can lift our eyes off of the chaos and pain here and point us towards Jesus and point us toward eternity reminds us that this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. Paul calls our bodies jars of clay. Jars of clay, something that's easily broken, easily thrown away. Jars of clay, that's the disposable plastic bottles of Jesus' day. It was something you drink, crush up, and throw behind you. I hope that did not burst. <laughs> Our lives are temporary here on this earth. So we can't be living for this earth. we got to be pushing forward towards eternity. And if we have placed our faith in Christ, we know that eternity is guaranteed for us beyond a shadow of a doubt. But if we have not placed our faith in Jesus, we've never made that decision for ourselves. We've never drawn the line in the sand and said, I am with Jesus and no one else. Eternity is not guaranteed. In fact, eternity is guaranteed the opposite direction. We must make the decision for ourselves. But once we do, we got something we're pushing forward. Suffering, especially as we suffer together, reminds us of the temporariness of this life. Suffering reminds us of eternity. Eternity. The time when all suffering will be wiped away. In that day, we'll see God's grace and God's judgment on full display. John sees the future, and he writes in John 7, 9, After this I looked, and there behold me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? And I answered, sir, you know. And he said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. What John is seeing are those who have gone through the great tribulation, and they've remained faithful and they've died. They've gone through persecution and died because of it. And God has rewarded us. So this is focused on those who have died during the tribulation as the world turns against the followers of Jesus. But the principle is still there. God rewards those who are faithful to him 
as we struggle together, entering eternity on the pains of this life, shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters, God greets us, extends his hand, gives us new clothes, and says, welcome home, well done, good and faithful servant. God's grace. We struggle together, we're reminded of eternity, we're reminded of God's grace, ultimate grace that is waiting for us there. But we'll also see God's judgment on that day. Paul tells the Thessalonians, all this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. God is the ultimate avenger. If we are going through hardship because of the oppression of the devil, if we're going through hardship because of persecution from other humanity, God is going to avenge it for us, which should cause us to weep for those who are doing this for us. God is going to bring judgment. We don't have to bring revenge. When we step in to try to revenge those who have harmed us, we just mess it up. God brings the revenge. God brings justice to the beings who oppress us and to those who persecute us, and he will do it in the fullness of time. God's judgment is coming. And so if we're going through hardship, we can get comfort because God will avenge. So when we struggle and we don't know how we're going to keep going, talk about it. Tell someone what you're struggling through, whether it's temptation, oppression, or persecution. Those who we're in a community with, the body of Christ, are the people that God has gifted us with to come and stand shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, and lift us up, pointing to the time when the end of the war will come, the life that will be, the grace and justice that is awaiting. And with that vision, we can struggle some more. The end is not yet, but the end is coming, and one day will be. Our cry does not have to be, Christmas come early. Our cry can be an anthem. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That is our hope. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for giving us hope through this life. No matter what is happening, we know that you are in control and you are working everything out until the day when you break through those clouds and come and gather us into your arms and place us on a new perfected earth where there'll be no more weeping or crying or pain. We say, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But until then, teach us to be the church. Teach us to be people who join together and encourage one another through the hardships of this life and pointing each other towards you, our ultimate hope. Forgive us when our focus is not on you and eternity but instead we try to give each other trite things to lean on. Forgive us of that. Forgive us of when we don't open up so that we can struggle together, but we struggle alone. Forgive us of not living how you've called us to live and stripping your church of the witness to the world around of how you give strength through your body. Lord, teach us to be people who live for you and proclaim your truth in this room, but also in the mountaintops of this world, that you are coming, and you are good, and you are worthy of all. Thanks, Father. Amen.